Welcome to the podcast, 10 Solutions for a Feminist Climate Resilient Recovery. I am Maria Lee from the global network, WOCAN, Women Organizing for Change in Agriculture and Natural Resource Management. The current global crisis presents a unique opportunity to put climate resilience at the center of the conversation around what is important and how to build a better future for all. The solutions to build resilience to crisis are linked to the preservation of our Earth's resources and the stewardship of these. In this podcast series, we will be sharing 10 solutions for a climate resilient post-recovery through conversations with international thought leaders. Joining me today is Eve Crowley, FAO Deputy Regional Representative for Latin America and the Caribbean and FAO Representative in Chile since 2013. Eve has considerable experience in rural development, poverty eradication, and sustainable livelihoods, with a particular attention to gender and social inclusion issues. In this interview, she shares her perspective on the role of women in food systems and how to design sustainable and inclusive food systems. Good morning, Eve. Good morning, Maria. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much, Eve, for joining me today to talk about this important topic of of sustainable food systems. The COVID-19 pandemic, in the same way as climate change, are two crises that threaten the food security and nutrition of millions of people around the world. And the FAO recent report on food security and nutrition indicates that in low- and middle-income countries, the lives and livelihoods of an estimated 265 million people are under severe threat. And the report calls in particular for transforming food systems. Now, the current crisis has brought to light the weaknesses of our food system, but I wanted to ask you, in your perspective, What are we learning in relation to the gender and inequality dimensions of those food systems? Wow, well, there are so many uh, problems associated with our existing food system. Uh, Many times we don't think that and don't realize just how much our current state is a product of a system that functions in a particular way. One part of that um, I would mention is obesity. We are in a context where it has tripled since 1975. This is not something in one country or another country. This is in all countries. It's just as much in poorer countries. Other products of our current food system relate to water scarcity. Uh, The water uh, that our agriculture systems use Uh, It's one of the greatest users of water. Agriculture is one of the most important emitters of uh, carbon dioxide and other gases, so greenhouse gases, uh, and therefore a contributor to climate change. Um, It also is the sector in which poverty is focused. So one of the, the paradoxes of our food system is that the people who are responsible for producing food, many of them, particularly the small farmers, who are a significant share, the majority of 
farmers in the world are actually food insecure themselves or very close to poverty themselves, um, in part connected to rural urban disparities, but also because they tend to be overlooked. So all of those factors are uh, those, those um, current situations that we see that are important global situations. These are not minor things that we can ignore. These are things that affect everybody's lives. And mm -hmm. those things are the products of a system that we currently have that is imperfect, that wastes a third of the produce that it produces, the food it produces, a third in a context where that same third of food involved labor of the poor, it involved land, it involved water, and it is food that could be consumed in other parts of the world or by other groups of people in the same country, and it's simply being put to waste. So there are efficiencies, inefficiencies as well. All of this is a product of how our food system is currently structured, what incentives are given for which parts of the food that is consumed. And one of the most dramatic dimensions of it, I would say, is the inequality part. Because what we see, and, and I'm going to draw a lot on the Latin American Caribbean region, but not exclusively in our conversation, is that, that we find that um, it, food insecurity is different for men and women. Mm. And we find that food insecurity is different for wealthy and poor people. And if we're talking about poor women and rural poor women in particular, that is where many of these inequalities are concentrated, the most disadvantaged positions. So specifically, when we talk about um, the differences, we see significant differences in obesity rates between men and women, rural and urban, and rich and poor, with the obesity rates being higher in rural areas among women, significantly higher among women in most countries, and in um, and, and among the poorest income groups. We also find that food insecurity expressed as undernutrition or uh, and also in the terms of um, stunting um, is often higher among uh, women, uh, girls, than among boys. So there are actual gender differences also in food deficit situations, uh, caloric deficit situations. And we know that there are differences when it relates to micronutrient deficiencies. So, so for example, iron is one of the areas where women in particular require um, better access to iron in their food to reduce the risks of maternal and child mortality. So that's one way in which it expresses itself. But there are many other ways. in the food system, um, much of the labor is done by men and women, uh, by men, women, farmers. Women's jobs tend to be more precarious. They tend to be poor paid. Uh, they tend to be with less uh, sec social security and other forms of security. And all of this puts them at the margin of being at greater risk when a pandemic or other crisis occurs, uh, either a climate crisis or a sanitary crisis. So they have high rates of poverty, but they're also more prone to fall into poverty or into vulnerability 
because of the precariousness of their jobs. And we see excessive force in a domestic realm uh, expressing itself more in terms of violence against women and the domestic abuse that's being seen in households. And that takes multiple forms, including the expectation that women be the ones who provide food in the household and that are ensuring that the meals are cooked now that everyone is staying at home. And those same women who are still having to work outside, but also having to provide food at home. You know, schools close. This has an impact on food security. Millions of poor people in most countries in the world depend upon school meals as part of their nutrition. So when schools close, what happens to that meal? That meal is a gender empowering meal. That meal was a meal that enabled girls to go to school when the programs were first created. That meal was what gave poor families an incentive to say, it makes more sense for my daughter to eat and study today than for her to stay at home and look after all of the domestic responsibilities. So it was a gender empowering instrument. It was also an empowering instrument in the sense that once school meals were introduced, mothers could go to work. And with women's entry into the labor force, they were able to also earn independent economic incomes. So with the closure of schools, there could also be an impact on gender equality at the home and on food security. So really what's so critical for us is um, the realization in the world that the world cannot survive without health workers, but the world can also not survive without food workers. And many of the people in the food chain, whether they're producers or processors, or those who prepare food at home, those who, sh who sell food in the markets, many of these people are women. In many cases, in some cases, most of them are women. Mm. No, and, and I think it's important that you brought in these uh, interlinked dimensions, looking at access to food, nutrition, economic issues, social issues, security, connectivity. I think it's important when we look at those food systems um, and we have this gender and inequality lens to make sure that we look at all these interconnected um, dimensions that are really important then to um, develop solutions that, um, as you said, are not responding to a problem that is a new problem, but it's just uh, a problem that now has been exacerbated by this crisis. And then exactly. it's, it's an opportunity to do things differently. And in, in this discussions around the, the recovery strategies and, and new ways of thinking, there is this importance of building sustainable local food systems. So I wanted to ask you, what does it mean for you to, to have sustainable local food systems that also reduce gender inequalities? And if you have some concrete examples that, that you would like to share with us. Sure. Um, just on the previous point, I would mention that I know it sounds complex. When we use the word system, we're talking about the interconnections. And so in addition to the whole chain, from the producer to the consumer is all the other actors who are part of it. And I think the, the value of looking at the food system as a system with its social, economic, 
environmental and institutional dimensions to it, it really helps us to understand how important the impacts of food is on all of us. People think about it as something you put in your mouth, something you like or you don't like, but it's something we rely on three times a day and it involves millions, hundreds of millions of people in the world. And so if the system isn't working well, it affects hundreds of millions of people in the world. So that is, I think, something that is really important to to underline. So let me start with one example of um, a, a, an approach that was developed in this region um, that I think is important and inspiring for other parts of the world where we're looking to promote um, local supply chains, local food availability, and opportunities for small farmers, as well as opportunities for access to healthy food. So it's something that touches a bit on a number of different um, spectrums of the food system. And this is the Food Council of Lima, Peru. Um, and, and we think about it as an example of um, an element in a inclusive and sustainable food system. And when I talk about inclusive, it's, it's, all, it's trying to address issues of gender equality, and it's trying to address issues of inclusion of indigenous peoples and other groups who have historically been marginalized. So since t- the 2017, the city of Lima has started working on a platform that involves different actors within the food system. And that's this Food Council of Lima, the Consejo Alimentario de Lima. And it brings it together, producers, male and female producers, uh, marketers or traders, urban agriculture, civil society. It includes consumers associations, people working in gastronomy and um, food uh, innovation and in healthy food. It brings also academe and 43 different municipal governments, as well as the Metropolitan Government of Lima and the ministers of environment, agriculture, and uh, irrigation, health, and at various points has also involved Minister of of Education and others. In addition to organizations like my organization, FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN. And so this platform uh, has made a particular effort to ensure that all of its groups and and the way it was conceived from the beginning, first of all, involved women at least equal at an equal level. In when one looks across the the consejo and including both the council itself as well as in its working groups the majority of participants are women. It always is more than half. Mm -hmm. And the, um, what they, they've been registering participation. So they've been monitoring this very carefully. Now we know that participation is just one little piece of it, but what's important is that they've been working in trying to ensure women's perspectives in the construction of public policies relating to healthy food environments, the agroecological program of Metropolitan Lima, the food and green environment, and the whole management of food loss and waste from the major supply markets, the the wholesale markets in the country. And so what's innovative about this is that 
Um, this initiative, which was led by the municipality of Metropolitan Lima, brought, first of all, tried to ensure the participation of women, and then in the involvement of ministers, brought in ministers who were also women. Um, the Ministry of Women, the Ministry of Education, the Ministry of Social Development, um, and that were led by women leaders. And as a result, they managed to create a vision around food that was went beyond the economic vision in terms of uh, healthy food environments, in terms of school feeding, in terms of prepared meals, in terms of the protocols around making sure that school meals are available in terms of food education. And they adopted a strategy of life schools that enabled um, them to work on uh, school feeding and healthy environments simultaneously, jointly with the Ministry of Environment. They also worked particularly on the whole urban-rural connection so that um, You may not realize it, but Lima uh, depends on uh, outside of Lima for 98% of its food, so almost all its food. And the female producers had a particular contribution to make because the the decision makers actively asked themselves, what can we do to ensure that women can participate and continue to be part of these field schools? And how do we make women producers um, active participants? and active uh, shapers of the policies that we come up with. So they did this by working on the new effort in involving both men and women and in designing uh, a program that would take into account the schedules that women have, making sure that there was childcare that would help women to participate and other things that would help to empower women so that they could get at and maybe reshape and transform the mindset and traditional paradigm of men being the providers and men being the generators of violence into a situation, and women being the ones, um, you know, cooking food and into one which was a much more joint undertaking um, where they were partners in this enterprise. Mm. Uh, Also the female producers uh, incorporated trade into this initiative and particularly looked at local value chains. And one of the things they promoted specifically was agroecological products within local value chains, which they call ayin payay, which is a Quechua word for the country food basket, basically. Um, And so what was observed that between the num- November 2019 and 2020, the participation of women actually increased in the initiative. Um, met some of the markets, um, not only were, were women able to participate, but in some markets, they became women-only markets. This example of the, the Food Council of Lima seems really interesting because, as you were mentioning, it also kind of challenges some gender roles. What then would be the incentives for governments and, and funders to drive more investments exactly at those um, intersection of um, having food systems that are more climate resilient, more sustainable, but also benefiting women and, and reducing gender inequalities. What could be incentives? Right. 
Well, I mean, a basic incentive is votes. I mean, I know this sounds basic, but more than half the population are women. Now, women don't always vote um, for things that are in their own benefit, but this is more than half the population. A significant group of people are poor. That group is growing. That group will grow as a result of COVID hugely. You know, as I mentioned, we're setting ourselves back in different countries by decades or by centuries. Okay. So it is, if we can't work with, um, in a way that's going to reduce the poverty and vulnerability of significant groups of people, this becomes everybody's problem. The state, it becomes a cost to the state if we can't get people to consume healthy food. So it's a lack of a forward-looking perspective if you don't think that investing in healthy food systems and equality today um, will not generate benefits tomorrow. So other incentives for the state. No, I think that right now, one of the things is that there's a lot of pressure on governments to come up with social protection and um, systems of support for the poorest. Now, there is a recognition that they will lose their seats if they can't provide for the poorest people who have a right to food and a right to healthcare services. And um, for those people in social protection um, systems, now we know that poor countries have greater difficulty in providing social protection support. But in the countries, in, including in Africa, where um, there have been uh, cash transfer programs, unconditional cash transfer programs that have been designed with a gender lens, we find that those programs really do have an impact on reducing um, uh, poverty and improving and reducing vulnerability for at-risk households. And if they're designed well, um, they can include and benefit women equally or more than men, given that women are often disproportionately represented among the poor. Um, but the other thing I think is that we actually have an opportunity right now to connect the social protection debate, which is ongoing, in connection to picking up the economies post-COVID, but starting now in terms of immediate assistance on through the response by connecting it up with climate change actions. So I feel that we, this is our chance to get the transformation in place by linking up social protection with not just climate resilience, so helping farmers to um, adapt and train to be able to um, use climate smart agricultural approaches, for example, like um, crops that are more climate resilient, like legumes, or and that are also nutritionally beneficial, or um, uh, um, crop cover, which can reduce uh, the loss of humidity from the soil. So it's good for water efficiency, but it also reduces the labor cost for women in 
uh, weeding um, and include programs that are going to build also climate mitigation actions. So if we have situations of significant deforestation or loss, biodiversity loss in native forests, we need to find ways of combining that with um, pay for work uh, opportunities where the poorest can be guaranteed a certain number of days of work in the year and that work can be focused on protecting biodiversity in native forests, restoring uh, at threat ecosystems, where, which if you don't take care of them, uh, there would be more uh, risk of carbon loss um, uh, and, and greenhouse gas emissions and so forth. So you know, I think there's this virtual, virtuous cycle that needs to be created and that we have a real opportunity today, right now, because of COVID, partly because of COVID, COVID-19. Um, and I think it's time to take advantage of it and really to focus specifically on what it is that women can benefit from um, in this kind of system. So I think that consumers are also an incentive for value chains to change, okay? That's a long way to say this, but as we, you know, evermore, we find consumers not wanting blood chocolate, you know, chocolate that has child labor in it, or um, food that has been produced in a way that is causing the Amazon to disappear. You know, consumers every day care more, and consumer, um, Consumers then define eventually which markets are going to grow and which are going to decline. No, I agree on the on the power of the consumers, and we can also imagine. You mentioned, you know, how you could then decide to buy chocolate that doesn't have child labor in it. You could also imagine to choose a chocolate or another product that actually empowers women. So, indeed, I think consumers can have a um, an important role in too into that. Uh, if we had to, to define what is a feminist approach to reshaping those food systems, how would you define that? Well, I think it's an approach which looks across the system and the diverse actors and products and institutions. And systemic way that is across attempts to ensure that women benefit at least equally if not more from innovations that can be introduced but you know the the kinds of areas where it really can make a difference in the in the issue of labor you know if you just look within the the value chain or within a woman's day what is the what are the things that take the most time if if we can focus on labor saving in those pieces of the time to reduce the drudgery and to increase the capacity to be able to be engaged in higher return work or um, work that enhances well-being you know whether it's educating children or, or 
um, higher value uh, um, products or whatever. But we need to really, I, I think the labor entry point is an important one because women suffer from time famine and particularly poor women and rural women. We need to be looking at it through a gender lens, looking at the whole food system through a gender lens and making sure that women are part of the decisions around public policies, that there are explicit validations of policies that run it by to be sure that women will actually benefit, that there's been that thinking that we talked about at the beginning of this discussion where we're saying where there's, where, what is that strategic entry point? What, is, what are the, the pressure points where, we're, where if we can focus in this segment and in these areas, it's actually going to indeed bring a disproportionate benefits to women who are disproportionately among the poor. Um, if we can do that, then that will be th that so consistently across the system, that would be able to produce the transform transformation within the system that we need. Then to, to conclude, what would be your call to action? So, so my call to action is that we take the opportunity and the, the this moment of tragedy of COVID and we COVID-19, and we use it as a way to, to reform our food system and our relationships of inequality and our relationships towards climate change all at once. It's to take the point where we are at the lowest, where people are without jobs, people without food, people are without health care to build a system of social protection and of economic stimulus that will give positive discrimination in favor of women and in favor of the building back better that is going to uh, enable climate change mitigation and adaptation at the same time. So not just looking at it to resolve the poverty problem, but as we, and resilience issue to sanitary crises and to climate crises, but that actually connects it up with actions that are going to help mitigate climate change and help adapt to climate change. This is the time people are open to it. The technology allows us to do it. And we need to close that divide, that, that digital divide once and for all. Now is the time. Uh, by combining technology, a gender equality lens, and the food systems necessities that we have right now um, in the context of COVID-19, we will be able to construct a food system that will be more equitable and inclusive, more climate resilient, and um, more efficient economically. Mm. Thank you for this call to action. And thank you again, Eve, for accepting this invitation. Thank you, Maria, and all the best to the listeners and to Wokan. Thank you. You've been listening to Wokan Podcast, 10 Solutions for a Feminist Climate Resilient Recovery. If you want to know more about Wokan's activities, please go to www.wokan.org. 
You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.